Well, the sermon this evening is the signs of the end of the world. The signs of the end of the world. So last Sunday evening we began our series on end times Bible prophecy. Last week I preached on the subject of the Antichrist. And uh, I'm going to preach quite a few of these uh, just because of recent events and, and different things that I've discussed. not going to go over those again. But uh, I'm going to go over this evening the signs of the end of the world. Now... <coughs> Here in Matthew chapter number 24, we're going to begin reading in verse number 1. Matthew chapter number 24, verse number 1 says, And Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, There shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? And home in on this next phrase. And what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? So notice the disciples come to Jesus here and they ask a question. They ask a question. It's actually a two-part question. They say, what is the sign of your coming and they also ask, and of the end of the world. So what are the signs of your coming and of the end of the world? Those two things are being coupled together there. And another, another uh, way to word a portion of that, uh, of that question would be if we were just to eliminate the first half. Because I'm not focusing this evening on Jesus Christ coming. I'm going to preach a full sermon again on the subject of the rapture and things along those lines. But another way to word that, of one part of that question was this. What is the signs of the end of the world? And that's what I'm going to be preaching about this evening. The signs of the end of the world. Now, we're going to continue reading down through here. And if we were to do so right now, what we would see is... Jesus does, in fact, give them the signs of the end of the world. He gives them the signs of the end of the world encroaching or uh, approaching what exactly is going to take place. Now, three things that we're going to learn this evening is this. Number one, what the signs are. What are all the signs? Well, we're going to look here in Matthew 24. We're going to compare it to Revelation 6 and any other accompanying passage that teaches us what the signs of the end of the world are. So number one, what the signs are. Number two, we're going to learn about the signs so we can be more familiar with them. What are they exactly in as far as detail? What are the details about the signs so we can be familiar with the signs? And then number three... I'm going to go over the order of the signs. What order do these signs particularly take place in? Now, I'm also going to be preaching a sermon in the future on the timeline of the, of the you know, uh, let's say the tribulation, God's wrath, just end times Bible prophecy in general. That's probably the best way to put that. So I'm not going to be focusing on that whole timeline per se. I'm just going to be really uh, homing in on specifically what is known as the beginning of sorrows mostly. And what those signs are about the signs. So we can learn the details and be very familiar with each individual sign. And also the order of the signs. One of the things that I'm going to be doing for you tonight that I hope is new, and you can walk away with this, is I'm going to be connecting each sign with the next sign and how this order of events takes place within the beginning of sorrows, that particular time period. And if you're not familiar with that phrase, uh, we're going to see that here in just a minute. But I want to go ahead and delve into sign number one. This is going to be very much a Bible study.
study this evening. Sign number one is that false Christ will arise. This has two meanings, but false Christ will arise. So we finished reading there in verse number three where they asked what were the signs of the end of the world. Look at verse number four. Jesus answered, and Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. Verse 5, For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. So, <clears throat> notice Jesus is responding to them. Jesus is answering them of, hey, here are the signs of the end of the world. Here are the signs of his coming of the end of the world. And the very first thing that he brings up is, Take heed that no man deceive you, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and deceive many. So, one of the signs, sign number one specifically, is that there are going to arise many false Christs. And when we, the closer we get to the end of the world, one thing that we're going to see is a lot of people popping up and saying that they're the Christ. A lot of people popping up and saying they're the Messiah, or they're the Savior of the world. They've come to deliver us, or they've come to save us. There's going to be people that are popping up that are pretending to be the person that is going to bring deliverance to us. So, I want you to look over at Matthew chapter number 24, <coughs> verse number 23. Matthew chapter number 24, I want you to notice that this continues on during this period of time. Look at verse number 23, it says this, Then if any man shall say unto you, Lo, here is Christ, or there, believe it not. For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets. So I want you to notice that this is going to continue on. When these seals, uh, we're going to notice that the seals are the signs, some of the signs that is. When these signs or these seals occur, these particular events don't just go away. These false Christs are going to continue on through this period of time of trouble and sorrow. I want you to go ahead and uh, flip over to Revelation chapter number 6. Revelation chapter number 6. <coughs> so false Christs are going to arise. There's going to be an influx of people you know, saying, hey, I'm the Christ. Now this is not unprecedented. There's been, there's been many people that have come and said, hey, I'm Christ. I'm Jesus Christ even. There is a man right now, I believe in the Philippines is where he's located, and he says, I am Jesus Christ, and he has hundreds of thousands, I believe it is. He has thousands and thousands of followers. There are people that have done this, that have said, hey, I'm the Messiah, I'm the Christ, and people follow them in masses. So this is not unprecedented for people to do this, but at this time, particularly, there are going to be many people People that arise and say, I'm Christ, I'm the Christ, I'm the Deliverer, I'm the Messiah, I'm here to save you, I'm going to bring peace to the world, I'm the Savior of the world. That's going to happen in mass numbers. Look at Revelation chapter number 6. Uh, let me read to you first from Luke 21.8. It says this, And he said, Take heed that you be not deceived, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ. And then he says this, And the time draweth near. Go ye not therefore after them. So notice right after he, he gives that statement that many are going to come in my name, saying, I am Christ, he says that the time draws near. The time draweth near. He says that that is a sign to tell you that the end of the world is coming. That the end of the world, as we know it, is coming. I want you to look in Revelation chapter number 6. We'll read verse number 1 and 2. It says this, And I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder, one of the four beasts saying, Come and see. And I saw, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat on him had a bow, and a crown was given unto him, 
<coughs> and he went forth conquering and to conquer. Now we know from last week that who is being spoken of right here in verse number 2 is clearly the Antichrist. Specifically it is the man, the Antichrist that will arise and, and he will, he will uh, you know, deceive the whole world. He is the actual Antichrist. But there are going to be many other people that arise and say they're the Christ. So these are Antichrists as well but they are not who we, whom we know as the Antichrist. Revelation chapter number 6 is interesting uh, when you compare it unto Matthew chapter number 24 because as we're going to see tonight the order of events is very very consistent. They are parallels with one another. Now if you want to study this throughout the Gospels the passage in Matthew 24 is known as uh, uh, the uh, it, he's on Mount Olivet right? Mount of Olives is also referred to as and it's the discourse on the Mount of Olives and Matthew 24 4 is a parallel within the Gospels with Mark 13 and Luke 21. And there are little small variations just like there are in all areas of the Gospel. And you can learn a lot by comparing them. But Revelation chapter number 6, if you plug that in side by all, uh, by the side of all three of the other, you'll notice that there are there is a very strong consistency. It's the same events and they're in almost the exact same order. The, the, uh, uh, the parallels with this specific seal, seal number one, is what we just read in Matthew 24. So it's interesting that it just in general mentions that there, there shall arise false Christ. But then we have the Antichrist himself being the first seal here. here. Now, the Antichrist here, he's not revealed as being the Antichrist. He has not declared himself to be God. That does not take place until the abomination of desolation, which is what begins the Great Tribulation. That's at the end of the beginning of sorrows. This is just the Antichrist that tells us. It says that he has a crown and he goes forth conquering and to conquer. So he has a crown. He is in a position of power. He is a leader. He is a political figure and he is specifically involved in the military. This man goes forth and I want you to notice that this initiates war. It says that he goes forth conquering and to conquer. This is, what he's doing right now is he is initiating war. This is the beginning of war that is going to be taking place. And this is the Antichrist himself. I'll tell you why this plays in well for the Antichrist, for there to be many Christs that are coming and declaring themselves Christ. And what, what you have is during this time period, you have, a many, you have many false Antichrists, right? You know, he's the false Christ, but you have many men that are arising and saying that they are Christ and they're not. They're not the true or the, the main Antichrist either. So you have all these people that are, that are saying, hey, I'm your deliverer. I'm your Savior, I'm your Messiah, I'm your Christ, I've come here to help you, I've come here to save you. Which, what this is doing, and I'm sure that the devil is, is using these people for his plan, what this is doing in a time of trouble when there's war, when people are continually saying, hey, I'm the Christ, I'm here to save you, I'm here to deliver you, it's conditioning people even more so to receive the true Antichrist. They have all of these false hopes repeatedly when men say they're coming to save them and deliver them and help them over and over again these false Christs and if you remember it carries out through the whole time of the beginning of sorrows repeatedly. And then you actually have the, 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 the true Antichrist who comes and says hey I am the Christ and when he comes and he actually is able to deliver when it comes to peace, he is able to deliver on some of his promises to bring peace to the world and to help and to deliver in some way and save them, of course they're going to be more willing to worship this man and to go along with this man. So first it sets up with all of these antichrists that come first. And that actually, that actually conditions people to accept the true antichrist 
when he steps on the scene. I want you to go back to Matthew chapter number 24 now. So back and forth from Revelation 6 to Matthew chapter number 24. The next sign is war. There's going to be wars that are going to be taking place. <clears throat> Matthew chapter number 24 verse number 6 says this, And you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass. But the end is not yet. So notice that these things <coughs> have to happen, he says. The, uh, the wars are going to take place, and he says, and see that ye be not troubled. Notice he's talking to Christians. So when we hear about all these wars taking place, you know, God gives us comfort that we should not be troubled, that these things have to happen in order for Jesus Christ to come back. Just like, you know, I preached a sermon how Jesus and God, they repeatedly, you know, uh, uh, will uh, tell us, to fear not. Over and over and over again, we see Jesus saying, fear not. We see God telling us, fear not, over and over again. That's basically what he's saying right here. See that ye be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. So the second sign is wars. Wars will take, will take place. I want you to flip over to Luke chapter number 21. Luke chapter number 21. <clears throat> Look at verse number 9. Luke chapter number 21, verse number 9. I want you to notice how this is worded here. It says, But when you shall hear of wars and commotions, be not terrified, for these things must first come to pass, but the end is not by and by. Notice here when he words it, he says, wars and commotions. Now I want you to notice how that kind of sounds like how war is starting to brew. How maybe one nation or another nation have started fighting. Just a few nations are maybe involved. This is perfectly in line with what we saw with the Antichrist. Notice the first seal was the Antichrist, and he goes forth to conquer. So what I believe is going to initiate the end of the world, the signs of the end of the world, is going to be the Antichrist specifically deciding to begin war. He is going to go forth, and it says that he has a goal to conquer, uh, conquering and to conquer. He has a goal to take over the world, and that is what's going to begin... That is what's going to start or initiate the end of the world and the, the uh, beginning of sorrows. So there it says, when you shall hear of wars and commotions, right? So it's just, it sounds somewhat mild. But now look at verse number 10. Then said he unto them, nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Go over to Revelation chapter number 6. Revelation chapter number 6. The second seal is in verse number 3. It says this, And when he had opened the second seal, I hear the second beast say, Come and see. And there went out another horse that was red, and power was given to him that, that sat thereon to take peace from the earth, and that they should kill one another. And there was given unto him a great sword. This right here is paralleled with the wars. Uh, seal number one was the Christ, the Antichrist. The Antichrist, specifically that man, he was released. He went forth conquering and to conquer. He initiated a battle. He started a battle. That began the wars and commotions. But then what takes place as a result of that, consequently, is that one nation again rises against another nation. And then that nation begins to go to battle with another nation. And what we see now is the whole world is at war in Revelation chapter number 6. Now, the way to prove that this is war is very simple. It says that they took peace from the earth. What's the opposite of peace? 
war. It says in Ecclesiastes 3.8, a time to love and a time to hate, a time of war and a time of peace. If you remember, David said, I am for peace, but when I speak, therefore war. Uh, there are many examples of this in the Bible. There was another one that I thought of, but I didn't look it up, where I can't remember exactly who it was. I think it may have been uh, um, uh, uh, Jehu, where he says, you know, whether it be for peace, you know, you know, basically take their lives, or whether they be for war, take their lives. So notice peace and war are opposites of one another. You know, even this, this is a good point. The peace sign, right? Does anyone know where this originated? The peace sign? It, it, it came from activists who were hi uh, uh, hippies, right? And the era when we were at war with Vietnam and all of that. And this sign is, you know, with our fingers, it obviously derives from the, the circle and then the, the two lines, right? Does anybody know what that is? These were activists that were anti-war and that is the nuclear uh, uh, disarmament uh, 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 symbol or sign. That's how to disarm the nuclear system. So they're saying, stop the war. So what does our peace sign actually even mean? It means no more war. The opposite of, of peace is war. And the opposite of war is peace. So when it says they took peace from, from the earth, it's very obvious that what's going on is now everyone is at war. Why? Because the Antichrist went forth conquering and to conquer. He began this because he wants to run the world or rule the world. So, they, so what takes place now is there, there is a World War III basically going on. Now why do wars happen like this? And this is very common. It's because people have allies. One country goes to war with, one, with, with a specific country. And then one of their allies steps in to defend them. Maybe they get resources from them. Maybe they have some kind of treaty with them that they have to step in. Well, when that nation steps in, guess what? They have allies and enemies as well. And then ultimately, and all it took was one man to go forth conquering and to conquer, the whole entire world is at war. And that's what took place in World War II. That's what took place in World War I. Allies and enemies, that's what it was all about. And that's what will take place. So all it needs is that initial battle to start. And then <coughs> you have a man that wants to conquer the world. He's not going to stop there, so he just goes forth. So you have first the wars and commotions under the signs of wars. That begins to brew. One nation rises against one nation, right? These battles continue, and then it escalates to everyone's at war. Nations rising against nations just everywhere. There's wars everywhere. So that is... Sign number two, right? And this is seal number two. And it even tells you that the whole world is at, at war here. It says that he has power to take peace from the earth. So all the earth. There's no, there's no peace anywhere on the earth. This is World War Three. I want you to go now back to Matthew chapter number 24. <coughs> We're going to look at <coughs> sign number three is famines. Famines. Uh, Matthew chapter number 24, look at verse 7. It says, For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, saying, The whole world is at war. And then it says, And there shall be famines. Now we'll get to the next ones in just a moment, the other signs. But it says, There shall be famines. Revelation chapter number 6. Revelation chapter number 6. Verse number 5, this is the third seal and also the third sign. It says this in verse 5, And when he had opened the third seal, I heard the third beast say, Come and see. And I beheld, and lo, a black horse. And he that sat on him had a pair of balances in his hand. And I heard of... Uh, I, 
excuse me, and I heard a voice in the midst of the four beasts say, a measure of wheat for a penny and three measures of barley for a penny. And see thou hurt not the oil and the wine. The third sign is famine. And right here when we read about the third seal, <coughs> what is being described is famine. Now famine is oftentimes the product of War. Second Kings chapter number six, verse number twenty-five says this: And there was a great famine in Samaria, and behold, they besieged it until an ass's head was sold for fourscore pieces of silver, and the fourth part of a cab, cab of a dove's dung for five pieces of silver. So notice that there's a famine here because of war. Now. Uh, it can be because maybe the, a nation is besieged, or it can be because maybe resources are cut off from a nation. It can also be, and I don't know if you're aware of this, but uh, in Nazi Germany, they had a, a bad famine because basically they were taking all of their resources and all of their, their, their finances and their funds, and they were, just, they were just fueling their war machine, right? And they just basically destroyed the economy because of that. All the money that they had, they were just throwing at you know, equipment and gas and things like that, and it just destroyed the economy to the point where the, it was a terrible famine. When you throw the economy off like that, then it, then all of a sudden, it, you know, it costs so much more supply and demand to buy food, and then that affects another area of the economy, and then it's just this continual cycle. There are many reasons why, as I mentioned just a minute ago, but I didn't focus on it. Sometimes people will cut off resources purposely, and then that causes this chain reaction to all the other nations, and then the whole world's having a famine. Another thing is drought. So this can be caused by war. So we can see the connections between the Antichrist and sign or seal number one, going forth and starting battles, and then wars coming from that. But then also because of war, we can see the famine go, is brought about. Now, this makes perfect sense because oftentimes when people look at Bible prophecy, they think that God is just causing all of these things. You know, because God, you know, controls natural disasters and stuff like that. And maybe He is, but what we see in Matthew 24 is Jesus just revealing the future to you. Because He is God. He is also a prophet and a seer. You could look at it that way as well. But He's revealing the future unto you. That does not mean that Jesus or God will be causing these things to happen in a specific order. He's just telling you, hey, what's going to happen right before I come back is the Antichrist is going to come. There's going to be wars. And it could be very likely that because of those wars, it's going to throw the, uh, you know, people's economy off. And then there's going to be famines as a result of that. <coughs> and that's what you have is supply and demand being uh, described. The, the, the principle or the lesson of supply and demand when it comes to economics is what is being spoken of here. When it says a measure of wheat for a penny, and I think it says four measures, and three measures of barley for, for a penny, and see thou hurt not the oil and the wine. We know from a parable that Jesus told that a penny is uh, the equivalent wage uh, for a man working for a whole day. One penny. Now, if you think about here, they're spending a penny for basically, you know, a loaf of bread, if you will. Can you imagine working an entire day for a loaf of bread? But that's how bad the famine is going to be at this particular time. That's what's being described here of what we're reading about. There's going to be a bad famine. And it makes perfect sense that it would be from the result of War. That makes perfect sense. That's what happens oftentimes. So there's, there's the famine, but also sign number four is pestilence. I want you to go back to Matthew chapter number 24. These are the signs of the end of the world. Pestilence is, is the next thing. Then pestilence is diseases. <clears throat> 
It says in verse number 7, we read, and there shall be famines. Then it says, and pestilences. Now go back over to Revelation chapter number 6 and we'll see this also here. <clears throat> famines and pestilences and wars, these things go together. 1 Kings chapter number 8 verse number 37 says this, If there be in the land famine, if there be pestilence, blasting mildew locust, or if there be caterpillar, if their enemies besiege them in the land of their cities, whatsoever plague, that's again a pestilence, whatsoever sickness, there be. So notice these things happen oftentimes all at the same time. You know, one thing like a drought can cause a famine, also pestilence can, pestilence can cause famines. But I'll tell you another thing that's, that's uh, a possibility is that these, this pestilence could be some sort of bioweapon. Now that may be kind of far-fetched, but if you try to look at all of these different events and how they're taking place one after the next, you have the famine taking place and that could be related. The pestilence and the famine could be related to one another. It could be that the disease is eating up crops or something like that. But we see people here where they are going forth to war. And it would make sense that the famine was caused by the war. But something else that makes sense is, and this is not, I don't believe, that far-fetched, is that the pestilences could be caused as a bioweapon. You know, the, uh, uh, the, the, the science today and the different type of you know, inventions that they have and the experiments that they've done. I am positive, and we know that they have the ability to, to uh, uh, just to uh, simulate different types of diseases and to, you know, that's how they, that's how, that's the whole way in which they create antibiotics and things like that. They are able to experiment with these types of things. And I've even heard people say, obviously, that the coronavirus is a bioweapon. I do not believe that. That, the, that China planted it. I don't believe that. I think that that's kind of far-fetched. But I would say this, that I don't think that it's that far-fetched to believe that nations use bioweapons or would use a bioweapon on another nation. Do you know how we conquered uh, some of the, uh, or how Spain conquered those in Mexico? I believe it was Mexico, it wasn't the Indians, was it? When they gave them the quilt that contained the disease, right? It was uh, uh, smallpox. Everybody know what I'm talking about? I have my details correct, right? Right? I'm pretty sure that that's correct, that it was smallpox is what it was, and they, they came in, and, I'm, and I, I feel like it was Spain that did it to, uh, uh, to those in Mexico. And what they did was they, they, they had a, a, uh, uh, some sort of quilt or some sort of blanket, and you can look this up in history. I was taught this in history. I've read about it a few times since then, and this, this quilt had smallpox, and what they did was they gave that quilt to someone as a gift. This is like a Trojan horse, basically. And then smallpox just infested all of them. And they knew, they knew what was going to happen to their population because they understood the science as far as they were not inoculated to these diseases. They were not familiar with them and their bodies was not, were not familiar with them. So it ended up just wiping out tons of them. And then they came in at the end and just destroyed all of them. So now we are at the point in human history and, and the knowledge that man you know, contains where he is able to manipulate when it comes to bacteria. He's able to control bacteria. And I've even heard people talk about how they could, they could uh, uh, basically you know, form and fashion the, the types of pestilence or diseases and viruses to a way that it might even be able to target certain demographics. Because obviously different people, whether you be African American, whether you be a white American, whether you be a Span, whether you're from you know, uh, uh, Mexico or whatever it may be, we have different you know, um, uh, uh, dispositions, you know, predispositions that would be you know, uh, bad predispositions. You know, certain people are more prone to cancer. Certain people have these things. So 
Uh, uh, I don't think that it's far-fetched at all that they could be designing certain types of bioweapons. I believe that that could be a possibility with this if you're trying to connect each one of the each one of these. It also could just be pestilences that are causing the famines and famines that are hand in hand with the pestilence. But I believe that that's, that's a pretty interesting concept. But the, these three things take place one with the other. Famine, pestilence, and war. I want you to go ahead and go back to Matthew, <coughs> Matthew chapter number 24. <coughs> Here is sign number 5. Sign number 5 that we could look for is earthquakes. Sign number five is earthquakes. Look at verse number seven. It says, in pestilences, and it says, and earthquakes in diverse places. So another sign is that there are going to be earthquakes. There's going to be a lot more earthquakes than usual. It says in diverse places. So they're going to be taking place in various different places. Maybe places where it doesn't normally happen. You know, uh, the fault lines are normally where earthquakes take place. Maybe they'll start taking place in other areas. That could be what this means. Those earthquakes could also uh, be a part of the domino effect. It could be because there are some sort of, you know, uh, nuclear, uh, uh, um, you know, bombs that are being dropped. Some sort of bomb that are being dropped and this could be throwing nature into this like domino effect of, of different type of catastrophic events. It could be because all the wars and all the extreme, I mean if there's a World War III and it's super extreme, it's possible that people start in desperate times, they call for desperate measures and they start pulling out nuclear bombs. What do you think that that would do to the environment? How do you think that nature would respond and nature would react? And that's how nature works. There's symbiotic relationships and when you throw one thing out of sync, it starts messing with something else. So these could also be tied in with this chain of events because it's interesting how all of these things just happen in order like this. And who's to say that God is the one that causes all of this? It never tells you that? It would make perfect sense if there was some way in which this all began with the Antichrist going forth to battle. He begins this World War III. There's this massive huge battle going on. Famines because of the war. Maybe the pestilences do are tied in with the famines. Or maybe it truly is some type of bioweapon that people are just spreading famines to all these different countries trying to weaken the people and things like that. And then on top of that, people are dropping nuclear bombs everywhere. All of these bombs are being dropped. All of these, you know, these different bioweapons are being sent out into nations. And it just it throws nature out of sync and it causes all different crazy things to happen. And then we have earthquakes happening in diverse places as a result as well. It would make sense to have this sort of chain event and one thing is basically bringing about the next event. One event brings about the next event. I want you to uh, go back to Revelation <coughs> chapter number 6. This is sign number 6. Now this is not mentioned in the Gospels but this is mass death. Deaths occurring on a mass level. Look at Revelation chapter number 6. It says, and verse number 7, And when he had opened the fourth seal, I heard the fourth beast say, I heard the fourth beast say, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and his name that sat on him was Death, and hell followed with him. And power was given unto them over the fourth part of the earth to kill with sword and with hunger and with death and with the beasts of the earth. So now notice how what follows consequently because of the, 
the wars, because of the famine, because of all these horrible things that are happening prior to this, we have death in mass numbers. And this is obviously ex uh, describing something that is very extreme. There are just going to be body bags everywhere is what's being talked about. Mass amounts of people are going to die as a result of what's going on. There are going to be extremely high numbers of death when it comes from the war. People are going to be starving to death. People are going to be dying because of the pestilences and the diseases that are spreading. You know, as I mentioned, people are going to have, aren't going to have food, so famines, of course. So people are going to be dying for multiple reasons. It even mentions hunger, sword, and then it says death. And it mentions something else. I'm not going to touch on this because there's nothing really that I can add to it very much. I don't know much of what it's talking about. But it says last there, and with the beasts of the earth. Now that's interesting that it throws that in there, that there's going to be a lot of people that die because of the beasts of the earth. Just and this could be because nature is kind of all out of sync. Because things maybe you know the the animals are also suffering to get food. Maybe that's possibly what's going on. But it's a very interesting statement, and it seems as if nature has just been thrown off of course. That something is going on with nature around us. That you know the world is upside down, if you will, and things are just not operating naturally and organically as they usually do. And that maybe could uh, describe that because I don't can't think of and never have heard of a good explanation of why all of a sudden these beasts are just destroying everybody and killing people in mass numbers. So that's very intriguing and very interesting, uh, uh, you know, nonetheless. So now, <coughs> I want to look at sign number seven. Sign number seven. Go back to Matthew <coughs> chapter number 24. Matthew chapter number 24. And I want you to look with me at verse number eight. It says this, All these are the beginning of of sorrows. So you've probably heard that phrase and I mentioned that at the beginning of the sermon. And what's being discussed of everything that we just read about and all those signs that we spoke about, those six signs, that is the beginning of sorrows. That is also the first four seals that we had just read about. And then we're going to get to the fifth seal here in just a moment. But I want to focus for just a second on sign number seven. This is not found in the, uh, the Gospels, nor is it found in the book of Revelation. But the temple, I believe, will be built during the beginning of sorrows. I believe that the temple will be built in the beginning of sorrows. The Bible tells you that the temple is going to be built in troublous times. It says in Daniel 9.25, Now therefore, know therefore and understand that from the beginning of, I'm sorry, from the going forth of the commandment, to restore and to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah, the prince, shall be seven weeks, and threescore and two weeks. The street shall be built again, and the wall even in troublous times. So a lot of people, and I've heard this many times, a lot of people think that the temple is going to be built at any moment. They're expecting the temple to be built today. Mark chapter 13 verse number 8 says this about the beginning of sorrows. For nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom and there shall be earthquakes in divers places. Now watch this. And there shall be famines and troubles. These are the beginning of sorrows. Notice it mentions that it's troubles. And what, did, what time did it say that the temple was going to be rebuilt in? It said in troublous times. Troublous times. Now, a lot of people, and I've heard this many times, I bet you've heard this before too, everyone talks about the third temple being built. And most of the time what people say is, they're waiting on the third temple to be built, and they say, nothing can start until the third temple's built. Who's heard that? You know, that's going to initiate. That's going to be, we can't, nothing can happen until the third temple's built. That's what we're waiting for. Like, that's the very first thing that's going to happen. I don't believe that. 
Because notice it's built in troublous times. That's when it takes place. What is the, the beginning of sorrows referred to as? Times of trouble. It makes perfect sense that the temple would actually be built during the time of the beginning of sorrows. He's going forth, it says, conquering and to conquer. And it makes perfect sense that when he starts to get his hands on that area, he's going to begin to start building that temple immediately. We don't need the temple to be built prior to that. It's going to be built in troublous times. So if we study the Bible, I believe that it tells you, and I don't think see how you can interpret this any other way, because Daniel 9 is talking about the tribulation even. So the next thing that's going to happen is not the temple is going to be built. What's going to happen is that temple is going to be built during the beginning of sorrows. Now, there's a lot of things that if you study this, it's very interesting that there are, there are ten horns that are talked about on the beast, right? There are ten horns that are on the beast, and those ten horns are kingdoms. And the Bible tells you that the, the, that the Antichrist is one of them. You know, and it even you know, narrows it down, and there's another aspect that it looks at it with the seven, right? And the Antichrist is one of the seven. But then it mentions that he dies, right? He's wounded, and then he comes back. And notice that he doesn't come back as the seventh. What's it say? The eighth. What does that imply if each horn is a kingdom? That, that there's a new kingdom. That he arises and there's a transition that takes place and there's a new kingdom. Now I'll tell you what makes perfect sense to me. By looking around at the world today, the United States of America has all of the power in the world today. The United States of America is the empire of the world today. I would agree with that. I have no problem with that. But when you study the Bible... I'm talking about the Bible, not the world, not current events, you know, all of that. When you study the Bible, the Bible is clear that Jerusalem is Babylon. The Bible is very clear that Babylon, end times Babylon, is the city of Jerusalem. So I'll tell you what makes perfect sense to me is this. I believe that the Antichrist very well could be a man in America. And he could be a political leader in America. And he could be a man that is in power, maybe the president. I don't know what he would be. He has a crown, it says, and he goes forth conquering and to conquer. America's always at war. It wouldn't have surprised me if they went forth to battle some more and conquer some more people. And the man that's behind it and is pulling the trigger is the Antichrist himself. America, if we were to look around at all the countries today and see what nation supports Israel more than any other nation? America. We fund them. They're the, we are the reason they are what they are today. We are the reason of their military. Of all, look at all the countries around them. None of them even compare to the power that they have and the intelligence that they have. All of their equipment and technology. You know, compare all the other countries to what Israel has. Not even close. Why do they have it? Because America. What I believe is going to take place is that it makes perfect sense that the leader is going to be a man in America. And, he's, and that's one of those seven. If we look at all the nations today, of course America would be one of the seven if it took place now. But it would make perfect sense that that man dies, however that actually works out in, in the grand scheme of things, when he arises and he comes back, and this is obviously a point in after he already has his charisma, he's already won the hearts of all the people, they're already ready to worship him. He relocates the capital of this one world government to the nation of Israel. 
And then he moves to that eighth kingdom and now he is reigning and the whole world has changed as we know it. And now we have a one world government. We have one man that's at the top and he's reigning over the entire world. It's tied in with this religion and he's in this temple. Now how fast and how easy would it be if one man had all the power of all the resources in the entire world, everything that we see that America has, and literally to the point where everyone is worshiping him and then he has all that power and he funnels all the resources to build a temple. How long would it take? How long would it take if, if literally, let's just say, you know, for simplicity's sake, all the world came together and everybody was of one mind and they all said, let's build that temple as fast as we can. You look at the temple that's in the Bible, they can have that thing built in months. They can have it built in months. Five, six months. That's what I, that makes perfect sense and that, that's what I believe is probably the most plausible theory that's going to take place. And then he transitions over and now he's reigning from Jerusalem at this point. Do you know where the largest population of Jews is in the world? America. 51% of Jews are in America today. 51%. And then there's, 31, there's 30% exactly in Israel of all the Jews that exist in the world. Only 30 only 30% and then 51% of them are in America. <coughs> you know what a ton of the political leaders are? There are a ton of them are Jewish. I think that that makes perfect sense to me. Sign number eight is persecution of the saints. It's persecution of the saints. Go to Matthew chapter number 24 again. <coughs> Matthew chapter number 24. So one good thing to walk away with, make sure you take note of that, is that the temple is actually built during the troublous times. It's built during trouble. It's built while there's the beginning of sorrows going on during the wars and all of that. So make sure you, you, you remember that. Maybe study that out on your own. Matthew chapter number 24, look at verse number 8. <coughs> it tells us, <coughs> Pestilences and earthquakes in divers places. All these, I'm sorry, I was reading verse 7. All these are the beginning of sorrows. And then it says in verse 9, Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you and you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. So now here with, <coughs> this is sign number eight. The previous seven signs took place during what we know as the beginning of sorrows. The beginning of sorrows is implying and denoting that that, is just, that that was mild compared to what's about to come. Now here with the eighth sign, what we see is the persecution of the saints or the persecution of Christians. Notice it says, Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you, and you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. So notice there we see that uh, Christians and, and saints are going to be persecuted. It goes on. Let's continue to read. Actually, you know what? Let's go over to Revelation 6. We'll go over and we'll look at this in Revelation 6 just so you can see the order of events and, and uh, how both of these line up very, very consistently. So we read verse 8 earlier. We, and now I want you to look at the fifth seal. Look at verse number 9. And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. So notice, we got this pattern, this very clear pattern when we line these up. And this is sign number eight. We see the persecution of the saints. Now, I'm not going to delve into this because I'm going to be de dedicating a few sermons to these other specific topics. But another thing that takes place right at the same time is the mark of the beast. And you can study that in Revelation 13. 
there are a few things, a few components that happen all at one time. And I'll tell you, it would, it would also make perfect sense with what I was just talking about at the temple. That the dedication of the temple, maybe even the very first time that he goes in, maybe that's when he sets up what we know as the abomination of desolation. He declares himself to be God. And this is also the time in which the mark of the beast is issued. And that is what initiates the persecution of the saints as well. So all of those components are tied in with one another. And I'll be preaching a sermon and explaining exposing that a little bit more in detail, but all of those things will be incorporated in sign number eight, which is the persecution of the saints. Now, if you weren't aware prior to this, you're going to be struggling once it gets to sign number eight at that point. Once they're already coming to kill you and you hear about this guy that's declaring himself to be God in the temple in Jerusalem, I would hope that you would open your eyes a little bit once you started seeing, you know, uh, they're breaking ground over there as far as, you know, they're building a temple in Jerusalem. I think that that would make even, even even those that are uh, maybe pre-trib, I would hope that that would wake them up out of their days and they would you know, be sober as they are commanded to be when it comes to this topic. But uh, uh, there's going to be terrible persecution. Let's go back and read about this in some of these verses in Matthew chapter number 24. It says in verse number 10, And then shall many be offended, and shall betray one another, and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall arise, and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. So notice that people are going to be hateful. People are going to hate you. People are going to start turning on you, and you're going to be their enemy, right? And we can see how the, the government is able to manipulate people. Brother Hall and I were talking about this before, and I know I've spoken with Brother Rick. We've all talked about this before. It's Right now, the state in which America is in is almost like people, everyone's each other's enemy. And, they, and the, the government knows what they're doing. They have this virus that serves multiple purposes for their agenda. And that what this virus is, is it makes you the enemy of another person. So it, it, it's, it's conquering and dividing at the same time of all the other agendas that they're getting. They, they strike this fear into the hearts of all the citizens of the United States, and because of that, it makes you more willing to go along with their, their you know, rights-grabbing agendas, right? Their liberty-grabbing agendas. But also, this virus causes you to be the enemy of you. And when I go knock on doors, people are angry with me all the time while I'm soul winning. People act strange. If you accidentally maybe stand within six feet of somebody at the supermarket, they get all up in arms, they act all weird to you about stuff. Do you know why? Because they, they're viewing you as a threat, a possible you know, a, a carrier of this virus. It serves a perfect purpose for this, and this is what nations, or this is what governments will try to do. They have these strategies. When they want to take over, they conquer, and they, 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 they divide, and that is how they conquer. Conquer and divide. Notice that that's what's taking place here in Matthew 24. Everybody hates each other. It says the love of many shall wax cold. People are given, they're, they're literally turning in their own family members. Fathers turning in the son. Mothers turning in the daughter. They're turning on. Everyone is hateful. Everyone hates each other. There's no love anywhere. So it's a terrible place to be. And it's, it's very, this is, this is what we would refer to as great tribulation. Uh, Keep reading there, verse 13, it says, But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. I believe that this is a sign as well. I didn't include this, but the sign, it's, it's not the same type of sign. Because I want you to notice that he was giving you things that were going to happen before the end comes. Right? He said, hey, this is going to happen, but the end is not yet. This is going to happen, but the end is not yet. And right here, he kind of still makes a similar statement, but he says, 
the gospel is going to preach in all the world, and then shall the end come. So it's still similar, though, in a way, to it being a sign. That'll be a sign is when the gospel is being spread throughout the world, and it seems as if it's going to happen during the time of persecution. Uh, Look at verse number 15. When you therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet stand in the holy place, whoso readeth, let him understand. Now I incorporated that into sign 8. That is where he declares himself to be God. This all takes place with the persecution of saints. All of these things are a part of the same exact event because when he declares himself to be God, that is when he sets up the abomination of desolation and that is when he institutes the mark of the beast because now we have this image that if you don't worship this image, then you don't get the mark of the beast. And if you don't have the mark of the beast, you're going to be put to death. So all of these things are tied in with one another. That's why I'm going to dedicate you know, sermons to these individual subjects. Then it says in verse 16, Then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. Let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. This is a serious time. Neither let him which is in the field return back to take his clothes. And woe unto them that are with child, and to them that give suck in those days. But pray ye that your flight be not in winter, neither on the Sabbath day. <clears throat> For, that means because, then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. That are, those are strong words. He's saying during that time, it's going to be the worst time of tribulation that has ever been on the earth. There have been some hard times. There have been some hard times you can read about in history books. There have been some very hard times you can read about in the Bible. There's been hard times in the United States of America. There's been terrible, if we talk about tribulation and tie it in with persecution, there's been some bad persecution of Christians in the Bible that we've read about. But it says that there will be no tribulation like this time. This is going to be the worst time of tribulation that has ever occurred on the earth. Everything that we read about that was the beginning of sorrows that took place would be, we would have the Antichrist arising, right? Antichrist going forth the battle. He himself going forth the battle. Uh, then we saw, you know, the famines. We saw wars immediately thereafter, so we stay in order here. Wars. Then we saw famines. We saw pestilences. We saw earthquakes. All of those things take place, and that is the beginning of sorrows. During that same period of time, we're also going to see the temple being rebuilt. Then we're going to see what is the great tribulation initiated by the Antichrist going into that temple, declaring himself to be God, setting up the abomination of des desolation, and issuing the mark of the beast for those that worship the beast and the image. That is what initiates great tribulation. So that kind of gives you an idea of the order of events. Tell, it uh, will define for you when great tribulation begins. That is referring to the persecution of the saints. I believe that once one of these um, seals are opened or once one of these signs begin, I believe they continue on. You know, there are, What basically happens is one comes into effect and it just continues. Then the next one comes into effect and they continue now concurrently. Now there's two troubles and problems that are, that are in place in the world. Then another comes into effect and they just get worse, right? And they're all concurrent all at the same time. And then what just makes it, throws it over the top is now he's declared himself to be God and he's persecuting the Christians. Uh, one other thing that I want to touch on here at the very end, something that I, 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 I have changed my view on, something very small, but it has to do with the falling away. Now, uh, the apostasy, as people will refer to it as. Uh, you know, 
I do believe that there will be, of course, people just, just kind of, because of the times and the, the tribulation, the persecution that takes place prior to all of this, I do believe that there will be people falling away then too as well. This is also one of the signs that we can look at is the falling away. But I believe that the falling away is referring to Christians that are being tried through persecution and tribulation and they fall away then. Now, obviously they're not rejecting Christ. That's not what it's referring to as. It's talking about the fact that they did not endure. That they did not keep the faith daily in their lives. That, that they were not trusting in the Lord to get them, th get them through these things. They were not prepared. They were living a worldly, sinful life and what, th these people were not prepared to get them through the tribulation. Uh, you know, you, you obviously cannot lose your salvation, so that's, that's ridiculous. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 tells us more about these times. It says this, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good. Uh, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. So you can see there why it would be an evil, dark place, a place with no love with how people are. Now this great falling away is mentioned in 2 Thessalonians chapter number 2, verse number 3, and it says this, Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. I believe that the falling away takes place because of, specifically, and more so because of, the tribulation, and it's specifically referring to when the persecution of the saints begins. Daniel chapter number 12, verse number 10 says this, Many shall be purified and made white. This is talking about during the great tribulation. And then it says this, and tried. That's like tested. <clears throat> but the wicked shall do wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand. I believe that the falling away happens when they are tried by the persecution and by the tribulation. And these are the people that are not able to endure through the tribulation. Matthew 13, 18, it's the parable of the sower, and it says this, Hear ye therefore the parable of the sower. When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one and catcheth away that which is sown in his heart. This is he which receives seed by the wayside. Then it says this, but he that received the seed into stony places, the same as he that heareth the word, and anon with joy receiveth it. Yet hath he not root in himself, but dureth for a while. For when tribulation or persecution ariseth, because of the word, by and by he is offended. Now, I want you to notice why it said that he fell away. I'm going to show you something very, very interesting. It says that it says there's going to be a great falling away. Now, why did it say here that these people were going to, you know, fall from the faith? Because of tribulation or persecution. And what specifically is, it's the parable of the sower, right? So you're thinking about a flower or something that's springing up. And I'm going to show to you that what's describing is that this flower is falling away. It's like grass or something that's falling away. 1 Peter chapter number 1, verse number 24 says, For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of, of man is the flower of grass. Now watch this. The grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away. So notice that what this is actually talking about in Matthew chapter 13, verse number 18, is that when tribulation and persecution ariseth, you know what happens? It falls away. Why? Because it doesn't have a root. There's no root in the ground, and it is top-heavy. 
Because it's not in the ground, you know what's going to happen? It's going to fall away. It's going to wither and fall away. And it's specifically talking about persecution and tribulation. So that falling away that is a sign of the end times, all people are always, are, are always talking about that has to happen first. They're wrong about that too, just like they're wrong about the temple. The temple's going to be built in troublous times. But not only that, I, yeah, of course, the closer we get to the end, you might see people for other reasons falling away. Right? Just stop going to church and whatever it be because the world's becoming a more evil place maybe. But that is not what this is, I believe, specifically referring to. It's referring to tribulation and persecution. And many are going to be tried. And some are going to endure to the end and some are not. And what's going to happen is those that don't have a root in themselves, they're going to, like a flower, fall away. I don't want to be one of those. I want to be one of the ones that brings forth fruit because you know the other Christians that it talks about during that time? It says they're going to do great exploits. Now if you think about what's going on, what does it say in Matthew 24? It says that the gospel is going to be preached to the whole world. And we look at Daniel and it says that they're going to do great exploits. Why? Because they know their God. So if we look at the parable of the sower, I want to be that last seed that is sown when it comes to the time of the tribulation and persecution. I want to be one of those, the fruits that springs up, one of the flowers that springs up, and the tree that brings forth tons of fruit. And that's what I believe that this is referring to. So th that sign that it talks about, when it says, hey, there's going to be a falling away. That's talking about the tribulation. That's talking about the persecution. So make sure that you're ready. We should always in our Christianity be strong enough to go through something like that. But especially, and the main reason why I'm preaching this, is when you see events that take place, it's going to happen sometime or another, and I have faith in this book. I, I want to make sure that I'm ready, and I also don't want to have any blood on my hands. I want to warn every person that I possibly can, and especially my church members, to be prepared. Don't be one of the, one of the seeds that's sowed by the wayside and that falls away because you don't have a root. Have a root. Be rooted in church. Be rooted in your Bible. Be rooted in prayer. Be rooted in your Christianity. Just all the different characteristics of our Christianity that we're commanded to have. The virtues. Walking in the Spirit. Make sure that you're rooted in your Christianity and that you're prepared. And that you're one of the Christians that during that time brings forth fruit. Amen. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you so much for uh, all things that you've done for us in our lives. Thank you for the warnings that you've given us. We ask you that you'd be with us, dear Lord God, and uh, bless us. If we are those uh, in that generation that will be here during that time, we ask you that you'd bless us and keep us safe and help us to be strong spiritually and to trust in you and to know our God. We love you so much, and uh, be with us, as I said. In Jesus Christ's name, amen.